0: John 11, 17 to 37, this is the word of Almighty God. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained And the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she'd said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Pray with me. Father, we've read your holy word. Now I pray you will add, with the presence of your spirit, true life giving power to these moments. Let us hear your voice in the teaching of your word and let us respond faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I told you, St. Augustine said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Pain is part of the human experience. If you've not suffered genuine pain or loss in your life, you probably should expect that you will do so. And if you have, you should know this is a normal part of being human in a fallen world. Because of the sin of mankind in the beginning, because of the curse over creation, pain, suffering, hardship, these are the default settings for the human experience. Yes, there are joys. Yes, there's beauty. There's glory all around us. But if we fail to understand that pain and hardship are what people face, we may find it impossible to deal with when they come into our own lives. This morning, I want us to look suffering in the eye. I want us to consider how we can respond our well to hardship in order to do it right when life hurts. Losses come. You will not likely be able to change that fact how you think when hardships come, how you react, how you respond. These are your opportunity to honor the Lord. So let's try to be real this morning. Let's try to take a sober look at life. And let's see what God will show us in a passage where sweet people are going through a very tough time after the loss of a loved one. We'll learn from the Lord as we find two main points. There will actually be five sub-points, three in the first, two in the second. Now, as we pick up the passage, you know where we've been, right? Lazarus, brother to Martha and Mary, has died. The sisters sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, but instead of coming to his immediate rescue, Jesus delayed traveling to Bethany for two days. Jesus, who we know spoke a word and healed a man from miles away back in chapter 4, didn't heal his friend. And strange as this all seems, the Word of God tells us this was something loving Jesus did. Jesus told His disciples, this sickness will not end in death, but death has come. And Jesus and his disciples set off to Bethany near to Jerusalem to, as Jesus said, wake Lazarus up. Lord willing, we get to see that next Sunday in the park as we think about resurrection. Does that sound cool to you? Point number one, main point. Trust Jesus in times of sorrow. Everything in this point goes together with trust Jesus in times of sorrow. Verses 17 to 20, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I have this Tremendous temptation to go all dickens on you and say, Lazarus was dead to begin with. Only two of you? Read a book. It's a significant detail that the Lord has given us here. You know, just like in our day, there were superstitions surrounding the concept of death. Have you guys ever heard any death superstitions? Like... In our day, people talk about seeing a bright light that draws you to heaven. That has nothing to do with God's revealed truth. I doubt very seriously you get a light show when you die. Similarly, some of the Jews of Jesus' day had a belief that a person's spirit would hover around their dead body for three days. But on the fourth day the body would begin to decompose and that apparently would make the spirit want to leave and go on to the place of the dead. This too is a false belief. We know from scripture that any believer for them to be absent from their body is to immediately be present with God. For any unbeliever to be absent from the body is to immediately be under the judgment of God. But there's no hovering around your body. That Lazarus has been buried here for four days, though, tells us that even the superstitious around Jesus believe Lazarus to be clearly and most sincerely dead. When Martha found out Jesus had arrived in Bethany, she left quietly. She doesn't want to make the crowd aware of what's going on. And here comes the conversation between Jesus and Martha and the first sub point you're going to get. I would make this an A. Make it a sub point A if you're an outliner. Or make it whatever you want. I I don't care. Sub point A, trust the sovereign power of God. Trust the sovereign power of God. Verse 21 and 22, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. When Martha meets with Jesus, somewhere away from the crowd, her first words are words of deep sorrow. There's no hint of accusation here. Just just sadness. Martha knows that if Jesus had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She knows Jesus most certainly could have healed her brother. And Martha's sad because that's not what happened. Martha adds, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Don't read that as an expectation that Martha suspects that Jesus is going to come and raise Lazarus from the dead, the rest of this passage shows us that Martha is not at all expecting a miracle today. What Martha is telling Jesus is that even though you didn't do what I want you to do, or what I would have wanted you to do, I still believe in you. I still know you've got the favor of Almighty God upon you. I know you can accomplish anything that you and the Heavenly Father desire to accomplish. Jesus can still do good, great good, even in the midst of the family tragedy, and Martha knows it. How much can we identify with Martha here? She hurts. She's lost her brother And she knows God could have stopped it. She knows that had things gone differently, Jesus could have done a miracle. But for reasons that Martha doesn't understand, God did not choose to prevent her from feeling this pain. And we all have experiences like Martha's, don't we? What can we do like Martha? that's right and helpful? First, follow her lead. Trust the sovereign power of God. Martha knows Jesus has the power to change the situation. Martha knows Jesus, he had it back before Lazarus died. She knows Jesus still has the power to accomplish anything he wants. She trusts That in the middle of her hard circumstance, God is still all powerful. God is still on his throne. God is still accomplishing things that she doesn't understand. And when you face hardship, and when you face loss, you will do well to remember those truths too. None of our pains come because God was powerless to change things. None of our circumstances are beyond the reach of God. We need to remember that our good and mighty God is still sovereign over all. Then, subpoint B trust in the future hope of the resurrection. Trust in the future hope of the resurrection. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus' response to Martha is great. Martha does not understand what Jesus is saying. We know the story, right? You guys know what's going to come next? Jesus is telling Martha, Lazarus is not staying in that tomb today. Maybe he's four days dead, but that is not relevant to the Almighty God. Jesus has come to Bethany to call him out. Jesus has come to display his power over the grave itself. Jesus is going to do the biggest miracle Martha has ever seen. Jesus is going to do something that will help Martha. And everybody who sees it understand the true identity and power of the Savior, Jesus, God the Son, Lazarus is going to live again that very day. Martha, for her part, misses the immediacy of what Jesus has said. She's probably already heard from the mourners in the house, the people that came to comfort her, that her brother is not going to stay dead forever. Martha knows God has promised that one day he's going to bring all of his saints back to life. There is a resurrection of all the dead to come, and Lazarus is going to live again. Just like Job said that, that though worms destroy his body, yet in his flesh he will see God. Now while Martha is wrong here about what Jesus was saying to her, Martha is right to remember the resurrection to come. In a time of sorrow, friends, it is really good for you and me to remember that this life is not all there is. Do you know how miserable it would be if all you got was this life and this body and that's it? How many of you have your body doing everything that you want it to do? Don't you get it? This is not all there is. It is good to remember that God has promised us a day to come when he will bring his saints out of their graves, grant us new perfected resurrection bodies, and let us live with him on a new cleansed earth forever. Our hope is not in whether this life goes smoothly or not. Our hope is in the day that Jesus returns and fixes things forever God is going to do perfect justice God is going to grant perfect comfort God is going to open to us a perfect eternity if we have the forgiveness of God in Christ when we hurt we should trust in the hope of the future resurrection and then sub point C Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Look at 25 to 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ the Son of God who is coming into the world. So here Jesus says something of massive importance. Instead of pointing Martha's hope to a coming day of resurrection, which will be a great day, Jesus gives her a powerful I am statement. Jesus tells Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. Five times now in John's gospel, we've seen Jesus say that he is something. I am with a predicate nominative to follow, and each of these statements shows us that the Savior is far more than a mere man. Right? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." John six thirty five. The light of the world. Eight twelve. The door. Ten seven. The good shepherd. Ten eleven. And now the resurrection and the life in eleven twenty five. And in each of those statements, Jesus is calling his hearers to think in a much bigger way about who Jesus is in these issues. He does not want the people to look for a handout of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Don't just look for light to guide you, Jesus is the light. Don't just look for a door that gets you to heaven, Jesus is the door. Don't just look for guidance. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for you. Now, amazingly, don't just look forward to a day when the dead will rise. Jesus is the resurrection. He doesn't want you to look for something out there in which that you will find hope. He is the one in whom your hope finds life. Consider the way the Savior's words change how you think about salvation. Jesus is not calling us to use him to reach an end that is somehow apart from him. We don't go through Jesus to get to heaven. On the contrary, while heaven, yes, is a place, heaven is knowing and being with Jesus. We don't use Jesus to get life. Life is knowing and loving Jesus. Perhaps this should challenge us as we talk about the gospel. The gospel is not that you use Jesus to get forgiveness from God. Salvation is knowing Jesus. Loving Jesus, running to Jesus, embracing Jesus. And all who long for Jesus and come to Jesus because they want Jesus get forgiveness and life. I heard David Platt once say it this way. You don't go to heaven if you don't want God. You're not saved if you don't want Jesus. Jesus is not a tool. He's not your ticket to the show. He's both the way you get in and the main attraction. Jesus said he is both the resurrection and the life. He's the true source of our coming back to physical life after we die. He's the resurrection. But beyond that, Jesus is the only source of spiritual life. Way back in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam, if you eat of the fruit in rebellion against God's command, what did God say would happen to Adam if he ate the fruit? That's correct. He would die. Now, here's the question. When Adam ate the fruit, did he die? Look at you guys. Adam did not physically die for another 930 years. That is what we refer to in theological terms as a long honking time. (laughs) Though physical death is in fact a true consequence of Adam's sin, Adam lived to a very old age. But at the very moment Adam bit into the fruit, he died spiritually. Because Adam went from being in fellowship with God to being separated from God. He was removed from a state of life and blessedness. Adam needed the mercy of God. He needed forgiveness from God to live again. For Adam to be okay with God for eternity, Adam needed resurrection and life, right? He needs his body to come out of the grave. But Adam also needed the forgiveness of God and a restored relationship with God. And I believe Adam received that forgiveness from God because when Adam believed the promise of God that he would send someone into the world who would crush the devil's head. When Adam believed that Eve would be one of her offspring who would come into the world by the blessing of God and fulfill God's promise, when Adam believed the promise of God, the Lord provided Adam animal skins for clothing. Remember that? God, I believe, sacrificed animals right then and there to point toward the blood sacrifice of Jesus That would actually cover Adam's sin. In faith, Adam received spiritual life. And one day, and it's not here yet. One day, Adam will experience the resurrection. His body will come out of the grave. Both of these are his. Not because of Adam, but because of Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus tells Martha he's the resurrection and the life. Calling her to believe in him in a bigger way than ever before. And if you'll see it, this is Jesus' call for you too. Jesus tells you he is your hope for physical resurrection and for life after death. Jesus tells you he is your only possible way. To have spiritual life and peace with God now. And you can only have that resurrection. And you can only have that life in one way. You must trust in, believe in, run in your heart to Jesus. True belief in Jesus means that if you die, you will live again. Those who believe in Jesus, though their bodies may die, their souls will experience genuine life in the presence of God forever. For the one who places his or her faith in Jesus, death is not the end. Death is not a black hole. Death is not a closed door. Death is a doorway into true life. And at the end of the age, the believer in Jesus will rise from the dead with a new body that will live forever. Those who believe in Jesus shall live and never die. If you believe in Jesus, you will never face true death. You will never be cut off from God. You will never pay the actual penalty for your own sin. You will not suffer eternity in hell. Faith in Jesus keeps you from the death, the eternal death that all humanity deserves. Jesus asks Martha, you believe all this? That's a pointed question. She needs to examine where she stands before God. And boy, does Martha answer well. She believes Jesus is the Christ. She believes he's God's son. She believes he's the one God promised would come into the world. Martha looking forward to God's fulfillment of all of God's promises, believes that Jesus is the one who fulfills everything God ever said God would do. Now, she still has no clue what Jesus is up to on that particular day regarding Lazarus. Martha believes that Jesus is what Jesus claims to be. I think Martha has genuine saving faith that's only going to be strengthened by the miracle that Jesus is about to perform. But do you know what's more important than whether or not Martha believes correctly? It's the same question applied to you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Those who put their faith in Jesus will never die. Those who put their faith in him will live again after their bodies die. Do you, do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus? Is your entire trust for your entire eternity bound up in the person and work of Jesus? If it's not, you're destined for eternal death and hell. But if your faith is bound up in Jesus, if you know Jesus is God's son, if you believe that Jesus died for your sin if you believe that he's alive today because he rose from the grave, if your hope is in Jesus alone for salvation, if you want Jesus, then you have the the promise of eternal life from your God. Believe in, trust in Jesus and find true everlasting life. Martha is in the middle of sorrow While she may not understand everything, she trusts Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. But trusting during a time of pain, can you guys relate to this? It's not always easy. We need to realize it's vital that we guard ourselves as we go through this life that's full of so many sorrows. So main point number two, guard against unbelief. Guard against unbelief. 28 to 31 resets the scene for us. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had met her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So Martha runs home, goes to get her sister Mary so Mary can talk to Jesus too. The house was full of people who have come to comfort the sisters and mourn the death of Lazarus. There would have been friends there. There also would have been professional mourners there. It was their job to weep, wail, and help others really get the grief thing going. How many of you would dig that for a career path? <laughs> different cultures, folks. Different cultures. And when Martha sends Mary to Jesus, the crowd sees Mary get up, and they see her running out, and they're like, oh, she's going to go weep at the tomb. We need to be there to comfort her. That's our job. So they go with her. Now we're going to see two ways that we're reminded to guard against the unbelief that threatens us when we hurt. Subpoint A, under this second main point, battle unbelief with hope. Battle unbelief with hope. Look at 32 and 33. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So Mary arrives. She echoes the very same thing Martha said. You want to guess they may have had this conversation? She acknowledged that Jesus had the power to prevent Lazarus' death. Now I don't think... Any different than Martha? I don't think Mary is accusing Jesus of wronging them. She's just sad. She's sad that Jesus didn't stop this. You guys know what that feels like, right? And Mary falls at Jesus' feet. She weeps. The word here for weep is not a quiet word. It's a word that indicates loud wailing. Unlike Martha, Mary doesn't go on and acknowledge that Jesus still has the power to do anything he wants. Not saying Mary doesn't believe in Jesus or that she believes less than Martha, but in this moment, all that we know for sure is Mary is heartbroken. And John says, and I want you to take note here, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And if we're not careful, we'll read this passage and we'll assume that Jesus is just swept up in the funeral emotion. But a closer look at these words that John wrote for us here will reveal that something very different is happening with Jesus. This is one of the very rare occasions when I believe that you actually do need a bit of Greek understanding, a little understanding of the words behind this passage, so you don't miss what's happening. Look at that phrase in your Bible. It says that Jesus was deeply moved. you got something like that in yours, right? It's not saying that Jesus was overcome with sadness. The Greek word used for deeply moved is a word that is translated everywhere else in Scripture As sternness or scolding. Outside of the Bible, that word is used for the sound of an angry horse snorting. You ever seen an old Western when a horse is really upset? When it's mad, when it wants to get you? That's the sound. So whatever the word is behind deeply moved, it's a word of anger not of sorrow. And the word for troubled does not carry sadness either. Instead, the word for troubled carries the concept of trembling, being stirred or shaken. So what do we conclude from those words? Jesus was upset. That's true. He was mourning. I think that's fair to say. But the mourning here is not the simple sadness of a funeral. Jesus was angry about something. Something Jesus was seeing or experiencing wasn't right. So what was it that wasn't right? Jesus, I believe, he was around people who were supposed to be his followers. Mary and Martha. He saw a crowd of people who are supposed to be the people of God. But they're wailing over the death of Lazarus as if there were no hope for the future. Jesus saw people not acting like the people of God. Instead, he saw people who were mourning like the lost, like the world, like pagans. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, who, who died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Yeah, there is sadness when we lose loved ones. There is sadness when we see tragedies on television or your internet news report. We're sad when we realize that we're not going to be in the presence of someone we love again anytime soon. But if the person we loved and who has passed on knows the Lord, there's no call for the kind of empty, hopeless mourning that we find in the funerals of the world. Now, I'm not saying, hear me please. I'm not saying that you don't mourn, weep, and grieve. Those are normal things. They're right things. Be sad when things are sad. Don't pretend otherwise. But, Christian, do not grieve as if there's no hope. Do not grieve as though God is not going to do right. Because grieving as if there is no hope dishonors your Lord. I think Jesus looked at this crowd. He saw a crowd who looked at death as if it it was the ultimate end. And they didn't recognize that Jesus, the Savior, the resurrection and the life was right there in their midst. Jesus in his true deity... In his perfect humanity, he expressed the right and proper anger of God over the utter lostness of this crowd. When we face loss, when we face sorrow, we're at risk of being like the crowd. Because sometimes our pain leaves us feeling hopeless. And in such time, we've got to fight. We must, by the power of God's Spirit, battle unbelief with hope. We must trust in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And we must rest our hope in Jesus' promise of eternity to come where God will make all things new and God will set all wrongs right. Now before we move on, let me do something theological here real quick. Jesus is truly God and truly man. You know that, right? Divine nature, human nature, perfectly together, hypostatic union for those of you who need that word. As God, in his godly nature, Jesus cannot be manipulated by changing emotions. God does not change. Our actions do not move God from one thing to make him become another thing. I'm not telling you God's not caring, or that God's not kind. What it means is that God, who knows all things, who is totally holy, totally powerful, is eternally set in his attitude toward all things. In his humanity, Jesus experiences and expresses right human emotion. And the emotion we see here in Jesus is a proper reflection of the eternal and set attitude of God toward all things. The author of Hebrews reminds us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be human, though he never stops being truly God. And we're going to see in the sweetness of Jesus how to battle unbelief with hope. Subpoint B, last one for the day. Trust God's goodness. Trust God's goodness. Look at verses 34 to 37. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The Savior asked, where's, where's the tomb? Where's Lazarus' body? The people say they'll take him there. In verse 35, Jesus weeps. That word for weep there for Jesus is a silent word. It indicates tears. It doesn't indicate wailing. It indicates tears. And when Jesus weeps, the Jews around him take it as, his sign, as a sign that, that Jesus has personal sorrow over the loss of Lazarus. And, and they begin to debate with, whether, with each other. Well, couldn't he have stopped it? Why, why didn't he stop it? And they missed the point of the weeping of Jesus. So now let's ask, earlier I said, why was Jesus angry? Now I'm going to ask you, why does Jesus weep? Well, one thing I think is true. I think Jesus genuinely weeps over the ugliness of death and the brokenness that man's rebellion against God has brought into the world. Doesn't it make you want to weep when you see the darkness and the evil that's in this world? It's not saying God's not in control, not saying God's not going to fix it, but it's awful. And we should weep. And Jesus weeps over the fact that he's surrounded by a crowd that still doesn't believe. They still don't understand. They still haven't trusted him. And honestly, I would tell you that yes, Jesus weeps out of love and compassion because he's with a hurting family in a time of sorrow. Jesus weeps Jesus weeps knowing full well he's about to remedy their pain. But he still weeps because he cares. Don't you love that, Jesus? A Jesus who can look at you, see your hurt, say, I know I'm about to fix you, and still weep with you in your time of sorrow. That's a good Jesus. Look at Jesus here. His anger calls you to battle unbelief with hope in him. The tears, I think they call on us to remember that Jesus is good. Jesus is loving. Jesus cares. And if we're going to survive the hardships of this life, we've got to trust in the goodness of our God and Savior. As we draw back from the scene, what is God telling you? If you've not yet put your trust in Jesus for eternal life, I can tell you God is commanding you as he commands all people everywhere to turn from sin and believe in Jesus, run after Jesus, desire Jesus. You need life, you need forgiveness, and you can only have it in Jesus. So in your heart, run to Jesus in faith and ask him, Lord Jesus, please save me. And if you do know Jesus, trust him in times of sorrow. Jesus is sovereign. He's Lord even over the grave, even over the resurrection. Set your hope on eternity with Jesus, not on this fallen world. Jesus is better than any bit of this world. When you hurt, battle unbelief by hoping in Jesus and remembering That even when life is hard, even when life is hard to understand, Jesus is still good. Jesus does care. Jesus loves his own with a love that's greater than any love you could ever possibly imagine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you so much that you have been so good, so kind, so merciful. I thank you for who you are, the Holy One, the Merciful One, the Resurrection and the Life. I pray that you would let me trust you and I pray that you will help us to find you a worthy goal for our lives. Be merciful. God, comfort those who are hurting and give them hope in you. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.